Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Hangouts and Headlines Casual Friday Edition. You can see I'm in my casual attire already, obviously a hat, some kind of sweater-like shirt. Very, very different from how I usually dress. I'm sure it's self-evident to everybody that's joining us this morning. But how is everybody doing this Friday? I've seen in the chat while I've tried to put together some of the articles we're looking at today, folks telling us where they're from, where they're hanging out in. Thank God it's Friday, right? I don't know about you, but it's been quite the week. And yesterday was quite the day. I know a number of you joined me for Hangouts yesterday morning. Uh, and it was a fuzzy, dubbed kind of martial arts film version of myself. And that might come up again uh, today. I'm working on the back end to fix up some of the internet stuff, potentially get a little bit more power here um, at Hogue House, power that I didn't anticipate needing before. I was broadcasting to all of you all uh, most mornings now uh, at this point. So I hope everybody's uh, had a good time. I hope it didn't bother people too much yesterday. I, I know I got an, uh, a lot of nice comments. I also got a lot of comments that were, do you know you're fuzzy? Do you know, do you know your timing doesn't quite work this morning? And I, and I, did, I did know that, um, but we'll see if we can do any better um, today. And like I said, we are going to be making improvements around here you have seen the new thumbnails for Hangouts. You have seen the new intros, uh, which I really, really like. And many, many thanks to Chris LaRue, who handled uh, doing the intros for Virtual Legality, doing the intros for uh, Hangouts here. Uh, and we'll probably be doing some more intros for the channel. I don't know. Maybe if we have some other concepts or ideas that we're working on at the same time. Who knows uh, what the future might hold? Sometimes things work out great. Sometimes they don't. Um, but Chris is fantastic. Please do check him out. He's linked in the descriptions to basically all the virtual legality episodes and certainly the Hangouts episodes. Um, and he is deserving of your time and attention. Outside of that, we're probably going to see if we can get some lights in here, right? I, I know I have a certain kind of uh, hominess uh, to the <laughs> uh, bailing wire and duct tape that is my camera setup uh, that was good enough for Zoom calls uh, for a couple of years, but probably could be improved a little bit. Now, I'm not going to have blinking lights in the background uh, to indicate, you know, uh, how things are going on the stream or with the subscriber base or anything else. I'm unlikely to change my hair color or to do anything fancy, but we might possibly put something on the wall. We might do something with a lighting arrangement. Um, and if you have any uh, thoughts on that or any ideas there, you know, chat with me here. Absolutely. Leave a comment. We're always looking to improve. And on that note, one of the ways that we are looking to improve is more and better and exciting material in this space. If you aren't on Twitter, first of all, congratulations. Second of all, you may have missed an announcement that I really should put in the community tab of this channel that we are having some fun tomorrow morning. If you haven't seen, we announced yesterday that we're gonna be doing a little thing that we're calling Lawyers and Dragons. Uh, that's right, we're gonna have uh, three of my close YouTube legal friends, uh, Alita at Legal Bites, Rob at Lumber Law, and Ian at Runkle the Bailey. We're going to be playing a game with a professional game master. We're going to be having some fun here. Uh, I am super, super pumped for this. Um, so if you're at all interested, mark it on your calendars, 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. Uh, you'll see some other announcements go up from me. Uh, we have all sorts of posters and things. We have all sorts of fun planned. 
uh, for all of this. And to be honest, at least one of the people involved is a little bit nervous. So you can try to guess who, uh, but it's uh, it's going to be a wild time. Uh, that said, uh, we are really, really, really looking forward to it. Uh, so please do check it out. Uh, and I just wanted to make that announcement here in Hangouts, Casual Friday, uh, because as I like to say here, primarily to embarrass my oldest daughter because she hates it. It's going to be rad. Um, so please do join us for that. We're going to talk about some headlines, uh, obviously, in this space. We've got Elon doing Elon things. But more importantly than Elon doing those things, we've got reporters and opinion editorial writers and whatnot uh, disagreeing massively with what the status of this deal with Twitter is going to be, uh, how we should feel about it. Everybody's got an opinion. Obviously, if you didn't see it, we went through the complaint within a half hour of it being released. I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, and it's a three hour video. So I, I know that's not everybody's cup of tea, but one, you can always watch me at high speed. Usually that works. I try to enunciate. I try to make it easy uh, to watch me at a higher speed. So you could do that um, maybe when you're in the car or maybe when you're jogging. I don't know. Otherwise, I'll probably be doing a follow-up video. It might even be today uh, that tries to condense some of the things that are in that Twitter complaint for folks that don't just have three hours to come and go through the entire document. Although I think it is a fun process um, to do. So um, please do check that out. Check everything else out. We've got articles where people are, are coming at very different angles on these various things. And uh, we've also got a little bit, maybe, depending on the timing for this episode, we've got a little bit of, of depth be heard and an article that Emily Baker has recommended uh, for us to go through in this space um, that is actually a, I think, a companion piece um, to the NBC documentary that we looked at yesterday. Um, so we might also do a little bit of that uh, if you're interested in that story. And we're just going to hang out. It's casual Friday, folks. I don't want to take any of this too serious. Uh, we do a lot of seriousness throughout the week. Obviously, the world is a serious place. Um, and I am very much interested in Fridays being a little bit chiller, a little bit more casual, not going through and just trying to find every single rhetorical device that a uh, newspaper might be using or lack of logic or mistake in identity or whatever else. Um, but just going through this to uh, to have a good time. And I like Sally B here. Every day is casual for me. That's good. I think that's a good way to live. Right. I didn't I didn't leave large law firm life to walk around with cloth strapped to my neck and wearing suits all the time. No, I leave that to my colleague at the big cast on Sundays, Ty Guy Travis, who made his brand wearing ties. We all make our own choices, folks, um, but I am much more every day is casual for me, uh, as I think my wife knows. Um, you know, it's a, it's really who knows what's even going on under the camera here. What am I wearing? Who knows? I'm not sharing it with you, uh, but it could be anything on any given day. Like I said, we're casual uh, on Fridays. Uh, Tracy G says your vids on two times speed are good. Thumbs up emoji even better when you can get done listening to me faster, right? That's what you mean? No? I'm glad that they work. Absolutely. I've, I've heard that from people. I honestly can't take myself past 1.75. That's how I edit um, if I'm editing any of these videos. Uh, but uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for saying I sound good. Um, at 2x, uh, let's see. 
sometimes these buttons don't work so well. Annalie Finch says, I'm retired, so every day is casual day. Fantastic. Well, then we can do even more casual stuff on a Friday because it's Friday. Absolutely. Hello from South Carolina, says Abigail. Hi, South Carolina. Hope everything is looking good over there. Francis says, logic was one of my favorite courses in college. Yeah, logic's fun, isn't it? I also love that the fact uh, that the LSAT, the test you take to get into law school, is like one-third logic puzzles, uh, complete with the grid, uh, like you're, you're playing in a magazine you get at the supermarket or something like that. Uh, it's fantastic. If you like that kind of stuff, you can get a good score to get into law school. Absolutely. I love, love, love Hangouts and Headlines for indulging my need to break down some more logical arguments. Fantastic. We're having fun. Spinelli guesses I'm wearing a kilt under the desk. I'll never tell. Who knows? Um, hello from Germany. Hello, Anthalia. I hope I got that right. And hello, Germany. Hello, Slovenia. Hello, Alma. Uh, hello from Nebraska. So we went in a different direction there. We got Germany, we got Slovenia, and then Nebraska. So Nebraska, uh, that's earlier there than it is here. So congratulations on an early morning wake up uh, on a Friday morning. Uh, here in the United States. Hello from New Jersey. You don't get extra credit. You're in the same time zone as me. Although most people think that Michigan, most people think that Michigan is in the central time zone. Uh, it's very funny when you set up appointments with people, especially um, lawyers or opposing counsel that are on the coasts or don't quite know um, exactly what the deal with Michigan is. Who does really, right? Um, they'll often schedule the time and then we'll have a we'll have a disconnect because they're like, I thought you were central. It's like, yeah. You know, when the sun is up right now until like 10, 15 or whenever, it feels like we probably should be central. Uh, but uh, I'm not in charge of such things. Nobody puts me in charge of uh, of all these various uh, governance questions in Michigan or otherwise. Um, so, no, nope, no, nope, we're like the most westerly eastern time zone uh, state, which is why you'll sometimes hear me refer to us as being on the east coast of the United States. And to that I say... Um, we are for certain definitions of coast, as long as you're willing to say the coast extends like a thousand miles inland, um, then Michigan can be incorporated. Right. Um, and certainly the Eastern time zone suggests that we think we are. Uh, and so, yes, we're uh, we're in that. Oh, uh, no, I'm not going to answer this one. Like I said, I'll never tell one way or the other. Uh, but uh, thank you for the guest. Julie. Thank you for the guest. Hi from France. Hi, Giovanna. Uh, that's a that's a cool picture on your profile. Uh, Prague is comfy today. That's awesome. Prague's one of those cities I would love to visit at some point. Um, I think uh, Prague, Vienna. Uh, fun stuff. Fun stuff. Uh, good morning from Ohio. I have visited Ohio a lot. <laughs> uh, if you're in Michigan, in order to get out, usually you're going through Indiana or, or Ohio. They've got us trapped in here. Uh, I think they like it that way. Hello from Tennessee. In virtual legality world, Hoglaw hat, three-piece suit. Well, Hoglaw hat, shirt. You know, maybe I could I could be wearing I could be wearing suit bottoms. I mean, that would be unusual. Um, but you don't know. You don't know. Florida, Ireland, Wisconsin, California, Ontario. I love it, folks. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Uh, it is great to see all these wonderful different places. Quebec. Netherlands, Japan, North Carolina. Very, very cool. Very, very cool. Hello from Beverly Hills, but I am Ukrainian. 
It's still really, really early in Beverly Hills. So good morning to you. And thank you for joining me. Kit Kat says, don't forget to hit the like, guys. Rose emoji. Yeah, if you guys could hit the like, that's awesome. That tells people that we're here. Gets the notifications working better. I don't know. I'm getting a lot of notes of late that nobody is getting the proper notifications for this channel. I don't anticipate a giant conspiracy. I don't. People like to jump on that. YouTube is keeping you down. My channel is under attack and all that good stuff. I suspect it's just widgets not working and buttons not working and YouTube has issues, right? And if you think about it, it's kind of understandable. If you think about the amount of data and videos that are flowing into and out of YouTube at any given moment in time, uh, it really is one of the biggest technological things that uh, the human species has probably ever done. Doesn't mean I like them. Doesn't mean that I don't really hate their black box emails that say, uh, you're in trouble, but we're not going to say exactly why and you should feel bad. But I am still continuing to be oppressed by what YouTube actually is. I can talk with you all. It can go up into space. We can chat about it. It's archived. It's there forever. Uh, what a world, right? A lot of fun. Uh, what else we have here? Arizona, Boston, studying for the LSAT now. Congratulations. Enjoy that. The LSAT might be one of my favorite standardized tests because it's it's reading and logic uh, in a very, very cool way. Um, Jennifer says, I totally thought Michigan was central. Everybody does. I don't know where that came from. I don't know why it's that way. I think it's because Indiana throws people with their various ways of handling the time zones in general. Uh, but no, Michigan's Eastern. We are on the very same time as that person that is studying for the LSAT in Boston. But our son is in a very different place at the same time of day than when you get out into the actual Atlantic Coast region. It's hilarious. Uh, Jibby Moat says Michigan doesn't even know what's up with Michigan. Yep, that's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, there's been talk of like splitting the state or moving the western end of the state into like the central time zone to better match up with Chicago um, and things like that. Uh, but we don't want to be run by Chicago, Illinois. We're our own people with the sunset that goes until my kids can't ever sleep uh, in the summer at all. Hello from Northeast Ohio. I love it. Washington, nice and chilly here still. I like a chilly morning. My favorite seasons, uh, and one of the reasons I could survive in Michigan, is like a good, brisk, like 50-degree fall morning. Little, little leaves on the ground little crunch under your step. That's a good time. That's a good time. I don't much care for the, the super warm, um, which is why, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I don't go down to Florida as much as, uh, as some Michiganders. There's a, there's an underground pipeline between Michigan and Florida. If you've ever been here, uh, including look, Shars sparkle plenty. Hello from Florida with the sunglasses emoji. You better have some sunglasses because it does get sunny, uh, down there. Uh, we should all use UTC and forget about time zones. I don't know about you, but especially when I'm communicating with other YouTubers, for instance, that live across oceans, I always have to go in and punch what excuse me, what time is it for them? Um, because uh, I try not to like call or email or DM or whatever at like you should be asleep three in the morning uh, for for your time, but it's uh, it's often hard to avoid. Hello from Mountain Time. Oh, I don't know this emoji. Is that a, it's like a, it's a companion cube from Portal with a heart in it. That's what it looks like to me. Um, and uh, folks that are interested, that are members here at the, the YouTube channel, first of all, thank you so much for the support. Really appreciate it. 
I know we're supposed to get custom emojis in there. Still figuring out what I want those to look like, working with people who are very generous with their time and their and their efforts on these things, trying to work through that. Co-counsel Mrs. Hoglaw, trying to work through that. Never had to order custom emojis before. So bear with me. Um, but yeah, leave in the comments, probably in the comments, it's a little bit more permanent, um, you know, what you might be interested in in that space. If you are a member, if you're thinking, hey, I would be a member if this thing were there, that's cool too. Um, but leave those ideas because that's uh, going to help me <laughs> since I've never, ever, ever um, gone through this process before. Uh, Coral says, I'd vote Hogue for governor. I don't, I don't, I don't know. You know, we'd, uh, we'd really have to talk about uh, policy positions, future Michigan, um, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm pretty sure Governor Whitmer is going to get a second term, at least based on the early polls. Um, so uh, we, we will, we will see what happens here in Michigan. Uh, be right back. Tea time from John. That is speaking my wife's language. And I have seen, we've gotten some super chats in here. Uh, Samantha Eason, guess who's back? Hoagie's back. Watching from Australia. Read as if you were singing Eminem. Oh, so guess who's back? Hoagie's back. Tell a friend. Yeah, absolutely. Do tell a friend, right? We love new subscribers here. We love new people hanging out with us in the mornings. Although Fridays are going to be an interesting time for people to be like, does this guy just kind of talk with folks in the morning? Yeah, it's a morning show. We're hanging out. People are waking up. Not my European friends. They're eating lunch. But either way, it's a fun time. People have seen when I share my window. I've got a I've got a lunch tab up there. People are always asking about what the lunch tab is. Maybe one day I will open my internet windows uh, for folks. But lunch is, hey, I'm working at my work computer, but I need to relax my brain um, and I want it to be something fun. So that's where... ESPN goes. That's where MGO blog goes. That's where a, a game review site that I really love called quarter to three goes. Um, and so that's what I'm reading at lunch, but yeah, guess who's back. I'm back. I'm back. Um, skew SME Hogue. Don't think I'll change my hair color. Newsflash. Hogue law attacks ninja. Three laughing emojis, laughing on the floor emojis, joking. No, I haven't attacked ninja lately. If you look at some of the videos I did uh, when Ninja went exclusive um, to uh, Mixer, I did comment on the negotiation process there and some of the comments because he had like a press release video uh, and things like that. So Ninja has been discussed in virtual legality because uh, I find him to be a fascinating figure. Uh, but no, everybody is welcome to change their hair color. I'm just saying that that change isn't for everybody. Probably not for me. I don't think I could pull it off. If I did, it would probably be something that says, hey, can I look like a dragon warrior protagonist? Uh, and famously, mostly their hair is blue. Um, but I think it would be a bad look. I really do. Maybe I'll do like, um, you know, uh, one of those app images. We can we can practice with that maybe at some point. Uh, but I think it would be a bad look. And I don't think co-counsel would like it very much. It's between you and me. Brick Cormier, you are so generous. Documentary is a very flattering way to frame that thing. Well, the, the weird thing about what the NBC video is, is it's mostly just kind of um, like clips and sentences in space, right? I want to come down on it a little bit harder uh, than I did yesterday because I did go through it again um, because people asked me to look at it again. But it's it's it, it studiously avoids having a thesis technically. Right. When you look at that video, it's a half hour long, but it's always just these quotes. It's always just, are you coming in to tell me I can't change my hair color? Is that what this is about? Let's see here. Absolutely no hair color change. 
That is the note from co-counsel. You know what she doesn't realize, though, is that makes me want to do it more. So you you give me those notes and it becomes more likely. No, seriously, though, I'm not going to do it, honey. Relax. Um, but uh, yeah, the NBC News video just puts these quotes in there. And, you know, I maybe should go through it on a transcript basis because what it's doing is a little bit more nefarious than some of the other things we analyze in terms of rhetoric. It's putting concepts and ideas next to each other in order to create an impression. Uh, and that impression is that uh, the court system is out of order. The world is broken. Amber Heard's a victim. Uh, and look at all the people who are negatively affected by this case. And it's um, it's insidious, right? Uh, it's even more uh, potentially problematic than some of the other stuff that we have looked at. So I do think it's fascinating uh, that it's out there doing that. But yeah, it's a little bit harder in this channel, especially. And I know you've heard me say this before. We don't like to use video material. I like to give YouTube absolutely no reason to do anything about this channel because we do cover things that are, as you can see in like the playlist, politics adjacent. Um, we do try to comment on things that are important to people outside of just whether Spider-Man is going to have a new movie by Sony, which is really important, right? That's a good thing to talk about. I like talking about those things, but things that YouTube might otherwise get a little bit more concerned with. So I try not to use video material. I transcribe. I put in slides. I do all these various things. I have the entire lifetime of uh, virtual legality. And so I generally do that still. And I didn't even put in slides yesterday when we talked about it because it was just a word file because that was I was kind of working at speed to talk about more topics. Um, but yeah, it's um, the documentary is insidious. All right. Uh, Rifka Muhammad, thanks for getting my name right in your previous stream. I hope I just got it right. I apologize. And I'm stoked I made a live Hangouts and Headlines as meetings ruin all my fun. Meetings ruin everybody's fun, right? And I can count on one hand, usually, the percentage of meetings that are called, that especially that are mandated, that actually accomplish something more effectively than would have been accomplished with like a solid email chain or a good phone call. Um, and yes, I think meetings are very often folks looking like they want to get something done, but not necessarily getting it done in that capacity. So I hear you. I'm sorry your meetings are ruining things. Hopefully yours are more productive than mine have been historically. Um, and uh, yes, I'm glad you're here live and I'm glad I pronounced it right today. I, I'm hopeful. I really, really do give it the old college try folks, but I'm not great at pronunciations. I, I have weaknesses just like every other human being and uh, foreign languages. I apologize. I'm a Neanderthal American that knows English pretty much as it um, and, and names I often get wrong, but I will always apologize when I give it, when I give it an attempt. Uh, Alexander Rolla, lawyer, communist and D&D GM for 20 years tuning in from Brazil. Can't wait for tomorrow. Gaming controller and a hammer and sickle. Well, thank you, Alexander. I hope you have a good time. I will tell you, trying new things is an exciting and exhilarating and not at all terrifying experience. Um, so we will see how it goes. I am super enthused about it. You've seen me teasing it on Twitter this whole time. If you're on that platform, I was really having fun with some of the marketing tweets before we announced officially. Uh, and we are going to be um, we're going to be role playing tomorrow. Uh, and it's going to be it's going to be wild. So, yeah, get excited. I'm glad to hear that you are uh, a GM. Uh, we'll see how it goes. We will see how it goes. George Wyckoff, time zones are bad. Get rid of them. Sure. 
But if we just got rid of time zones entirely, then like midnight becomes noon at some portion of the planet, right? I mean, like if, if time zones were gone completely, I, I don't know. I don't know what that would mean for like international discussions. Um, you just get used to it kind of like in Australia, summer is winter, winter is summer. Um, and I'm sure they think the same thing about us. Uh, I get all my information about Australia from Bluey and from you guys in chat, by the way. So bear with me. <clears throat> but yeah, it, maybe it could work. I don't know. I think I think time zones are probably functionally a good idea. Uh, but uh, yeah, you could just kind of completely change your understanding of how the clock works. Allison Barber, I am a Washington native. Dad's a Michigan native. We're currently in Illinois. I will always choose cold too. Shivering emoji. Yeah, over extreme heat, I'll take extreme cold. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, I'm not having a great deal of fun in the winter in Michigan. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but I really, really do love the, the, the crisp mornings in the spring and the fall. Sybil Mike, blue hair at 200,000 subs. <clears throat> See, I have professional Zoom calls. Unlike some of my colleagues, I still do you know, high-end transactions work. I will take it under advisement, but I don't think this one's going to happen. Maybe we can come up with something else uh, that would be equally fun for a 200,000 subscriber goal. Absolutely. Crazy Cat Queen, could we all just send some love to Mrs. Hogue? Absolutely. I send her love all the time. Who allows Rick to stream so much awesome content. Heart emoji. It really does fall on her a lot. More drives with the kids. All sorts of things. Absolutely. Send in those clap emojis or whatever else you like for co-counsel, Mrs. Hoglaw. She is amazing. Um, and I wouldn't have not been able to expand the channel as I have been doing uh, without her support. So I think that's a great note, crazy cat queen. And thank you so much, honey. I appreciate it. Andy, the game maker, the best kinds of meetings are meetings to plan meetings, especially on Fridays after lunch. People who start projects or otherwise send you documents with a note that says need this on Monday on Friday afternoon. I have very special thoughts about things like that. Um, and I don't think they're for the morning show here on virtually gallery. Maybe I'll go over on Emily's channel and do a, a, some Hogue after dark commentary, something like that. But yeah, people should be more cautious with Friday afternoons. We should respect each other. And, and look, hon, we got, look at all this. We got, we got claps. We got people, asking for a nose ring. Seriously, folks, we got to get something that will work for co-counsel. All right. Maybe you guys can work behind the scenes on something. Uh, claps, crowns, and hearts for, for, for my lovely, lovely wife. Claps. Absolutely fantastic. I don't know what those are. What are those emojis? Are they? Huh? I don't know. I think they're claps. Um, but, um, very interesting. I haven't seen those before. Um, Heart surrounding a happy face emoji. Thank you so much um, for my wife. I shouldn't be thanking you for uh, Yes, good good on clapping for, for Mrs. Hogloss. She's fantastic. Some laughing, laughing, uh, happy face emoji. She's coming back in, squeaky doors and everything. Yeah. Their nails being painted. I apologize, folks. This is why I need that kind of support. Um, high fives to Mrs. Hoglaw. Absolutely fantastic. Calista says they make temporary hair crayons. I own some. Blue hair could be a thing temporarily. Maybe we could find a window where I don't have to do a video call or a meeting with other folks 
uh, that we could work that out just for the photos of it. Um, and just to celebrate something like a 200,000 number. I, I don't know. Maybe we can put a timer on that. That would be a big push. We're at, uh, we're actually at 108,000, which is pretty cool. Um, coming off of the trial, not doing as much depth be heard stuff, uh, and, and really holding that number. That's because of folks like you, um, and that's, uh, that's not been the experience around YouTube when there've been those kinds of big growth events. A lot of times you have a really deep kind of, uh, loss and depression of subscriber numbers all coming off of those. And I have been super enthused, um, by the hold and now the growth, uh, here in July. Uh, it's because of the great community that you guys are, are helping build. And I'm so, so appreciative of that. I will take your temporary hair color crayon comment under advisement. Uh, you lawful masses and legal Eagle are all awesome. Yeah. I think there's room for everybody here. And I've talked with lawful masses. I think I've been on lawful masses channel. I know I've been on legal Eagles. We're regularly communicating, uh, on Twitter. I should do that more. Uh, the more different places that you can go and get information, especially from different perspectives and different voices, the better off you're going to be. Reasonable minds can differ and reasonable minds can agree, right? There's a corollary there. Uh, and I have a lot of fun with those folks. In fact, for some intellectual property stuff, I say, yeah, don't go, go talk to lawful masses uh, because sometimes they're going to have a better understanding of issue X or issue Y than I am. Lawyers all have specialties and lawyers have stuff that they're more comfortable with um, than others. Uh, let's ask your kids what I should do. No, no, no. Are you kidding me? How dangerous is that? <laughs> What embarrassing thing should your father do at 200,000 subs? They will come up with some stuff. They will. Uh, yes, special thoughts about people that deliver late Friday packages. Definitely special thoughts. Do a mohawk, but I'd just be under my hat. I don't I don't think that will work for people. We'll see. We'll see. Fingers with nail polish. I could work that in. Little Star Wars paintings on my nails. I don't know, something fancy. Nail polish. Oh, <laughs> It's not a recommendation for me. It's people telling me what that emoji was. I'm having fun this Friday morning. I haven't even gotten to any headlines. This, this might be a long episode. I don't think I have any meetings uh, this morning. So hopefully you're having fun hanging out with me. Uh, Andy, the game maker, swimsuit calendar. If you hit 200,000, I think the right approach to that is no swimsuit calendar. If I hit 200,000, like it's a threat. It's like an extortative statement. We're going to put this out there uh, and it's going to be on the screen unless you all get me 200,000. Uh, but no, it's a good idea, Andy. Thank you. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, Hoglaw Giant Unicorn Plushie for 220,000. 220 would be passing Michigan Stadium to the Revenge of Michigan Stadium. Um, man, a branded giant unicorn. Hmm. Write that one down, co-counsel. We do love unicorns in this house. We do love giant plushies. Um Emily says, at my last job, I had a coworker who would constantly schedule meetings with less than eight hours notice. So sometimes I wouldn't know about them until the day of. That's lame, right? I don't know about you. I like to wake up, look at what my day entails in terms of meetings, see how good the past version of myself did in planning these things, uh, and then say, okay, I've got these signposts in my day. I can get work done here. I can do hangouts here. I can re review for a potential virtual legality episode here and go on that basis forward uh, through my day. And then if you have people just randomly putting in meetings, it can't work. That's no fun at all. Um, Joshua, with a, with a nice suggestion here, blue Hoglaw baseball cap for 200,000. Could have celebratory hats. Hmm. Hmm. I like that. Might not be embarrassing enough for the rest of chat, so we'll have to work on that. 
But celebratory hats could be cool. I mean, maybe we could make them limited edition and just have them like around the range of those kinds of moves. That could be fun. I like hats. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> uh, Skew SME, 200,000 sub suggestion. Hogue cosplays as Phoenix Wright or Miles Edgeworth from Ace Attorney. Your choice, wear a wig. Yeah, you'd have to wear a wig to pull some of those off. Mm, I could, I could, I could do a good Miles Edgeworth. I've got, I've got the whole. That's like his move. He's like, he shrugs and says, "You're an idiot," uh, with his little, with his little animated uh, graphic. Now I could do, um, and I could do potentially a read through one of the shorter cases. Lots of fun stuff. Y'all have me thinking about two hundred thousand. We're at one hundred eight, which is awesome. Uh, but I don't think we're going to be at two hundred thousand subscribers tomorrow. So we've got some time, folks. Uh, Tracy Fagan meeting. That could have been an email. Huge percentages of meetings can be emails or phone calls. Absolutely. Uh, consult with Emily D. Baker for hair color advice. I don't know. See, she did a hair coloration and now she's permanently purple. If I ask her for advice, I'd be afraid that she'd change my hair color permanently somehow. Um, but you do know her when you see her, which is which is pretty useful. Um uh, so I think, I think we're about ready to, to talk about some headlines. Oh no, we still, we still have super chats and awesome, uh, advice here coming in. Uh, Chubb Toad, how about 150,000 subs? You stream dressed as a Care Bear. Would I paint my belly? I don't know. I, uh, I would have to think about that. It's good advice. We have talked a lot about Care Bears, uh, in this space, an unusual amount of so. You know, when I started this channel and we started talking about law and video games, pop culture, I didn't think I would be using the phrase Care Bear or Care Bear Stare nearly as much as we wound up having used it in the last little bit. Um, other people are recommending that. Robert, 200,000 Care Bear cosplay. Dresses your D&D character. So Lawyers and Dragons, which I'm just going to plug again here because it's awesome and I'm excited about it, is going to be a one-off adventure. Um, with characters that we've kind of agreed on with um, our, our game master. Uh, but you should think of it as a pilot episode. If y'all come in, everybody's excited about it. Everybody's enthused. I think we're going to have some chat components to this thing. So get excited about that. Um, and everybody likes it. I think we can potentially make it a thing. So consider this like a pilot uh, for evaluating a series. Um, and then if it becomes a series, if we wind up doing a long form campaign, then uh, yeah, I'd have to get... I'd have to get some uh, accoutrement uh, to uh, to uh, go along with whatever character I, I chose to be, right? So uh, absolutely, definitely. Uh, what else we got here? Hi from France. Glad I didn't miss the headlines yet. Somewhere the opposite of you is like, why is this guy going on for 35 minutes? I want to talk about Elon. And I don't blame them. Elon is a really, really random character. Uh, and certainly even journalists of uh, significant experience are struggling with what the heck is happening uh, with this lawsuit. Uh, Terry says, Hogue, your analysis of these matters is just the best. Thank you. That's very nice of you to say. You should have 500,000 subs. Your lips to God's ears. No. Yes. Just too intelligent and so cogent. Thanks. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, we're having fun. Today's stream is hilarious. Yeah, well, we're coming up with ways to embarrass me at high subscriber counts. That's always fun. Always a fun topic. Um, and then I'm getting notes from my wife that says, absolutely not. So. Very enjoyable. Lady Emily, finally catching one of these live upside down happy face emoji. Does that make it a sad face or is it just kind of working on tumbling exercises? I don't know. Britt Cormier, so birthday suit calendar for 200000 since no swimsuit. 
Uh, birthday suit calendar is once again a much higher number than 200,000 and probably a threat, right? We got to be honest with ourselves here. We have strengths. We have weaknesses. Uh, probably a threat from me. But I, I appreciate your faith and confidence uh, in my ability to, to really lock down uh, a calendar kind of concept. Uh, Rifka Muhammad, I am in COSEC. Uh, my life consists of meetings. Is that computer security? Yeah, I can bet. I can bet. Um, let's see. Hats is the best so far. Hoag's blue hat was superb. Oh, the, the Mickey hat? I You know, that, that's been lost to the annals of time right now because um, uh, that stream still hasn't come back. So I'm, I'm trying to get that stream back. We'll see if that ever happens. Um, but yeah, I like wearing fun hats. Rose Moon, 150,000 rainbow Care Bear hats. Again, I think headwear is the right way to go here um, because it doesn't mean that I have to have it on a Zoom call with some giant corporation and explain how I can help them do their merger and acquisition while my hair is doing whatever or my nose ring is just glinting in the moonlight. Um, but wearing a hat, special hats for celebratory occasions, I think could work. You could even do a, a Care Bear themed of course, not Care Bear itself, because that would be in copyright infringement. But Care Bear concepted out um, Hoglaw hat. We, we're going to get a have, have to get a fancy hat guy. Um, we'll see. If you know of a hat guy, I know Emily owes me a hat guy. Um, you know, leave a, leave a comment. DM me on Twitter. Got to get a hat guy. Uh, <laughs> I love the Care Bear references. Absolutely. Uh, what else here? Can't wait for this. Who is the game master? Uh, a fellow by the name of David Grace. Uh, who is a professional game master, absolutely fantastic, has been helping the crew out um, with kind of understanding what a Dungeons & Dragons game is. Uh, by the way, Ian doesn't need this help, but doing tutorial videos. We got another video from him uh, last night with kind of some last-minute notes about how Saturday is to work. He's been doing uh, the, the advertising stuff for this. He's been 100% fantastic. I'm definitely going to um, you know, pitch him as much as possible he has done so much to help this out. He goes by the um, the brand name Prototopics. You can look him up. I think he's got a Patreon. I think you've got things like that. I intend to say all of this uh, again tomorrow, but he has been so good uh, explaining what Dungeons & Dragons is for the couple of us that haven't ever played a tabletop role-playing game. But mostly this is about storytelling, having fun with personalities, hopefully that you like on YouTube, my friends here in the YouTube space, uh, and enjoying each other's company telling a fun story, um, family friendly, you know, so when we were putting this together, uh, David and I said, you know, family friendly, no politics, no drama about our real life personalities or anything else like that. This is going to be a pure one-off celebration of role-playing gaming and, and friends, uh, hopefully having what I think is going to be a fun time, an awesome time and a funny time. Uh, you know, if you've ever heard Ian Runkle just go off on random tangents um, that uh, are both funny and then sometimes vaguely threatening. I think we're going to have a blast with him uh, role-playing, doing some uh, lawyers and dragons. <clears throat> Kevin Brace supporting Hoag's Law. Hoag's Law sounds like somebody took um, Hoag's Law and made like a somewhat silly sitcom about me as a judge in rural Alaska uh, or something like that uh, and put it on Fox from the mid-1990s. Hoag's Law. Oh, he tries to be a dad at home while running a YouTube empire and, of course, judging in the court of whatever. Oh, what's going to happen this week as somebody accidentally shot a deer? Uh, you know, whatever that might be uh, for Fox's commercials. I love it. Thank you so much for the support. Hoglaw Care Bear Rainbow Merch. I think, 
I think it's a possibility. I think it's the kind of thing we could do. Who has more hats, you or Leonard? I have more of these kinds of hats. Uh, you know, normal people hats. <laughs> but Lawful Masses has so many cool different hats. Um, and I uh, I always love to see him in it because he always puts them in the thumbnail. It's like, what are you wearing today? Uh, and he's got a lot of fun, weird ones. Um, he probably has more hats than me, uh, but I do have a lot of hats. Uh, this is a lot of fun talking with you all. This is what this is casual Fridays, hanging out. Uh, the George Costanza painting in the background at 200,000. Huh? Maybe. Uh, maybe. Uh, oh, we've got questions for co-counsel. I don't think she's going to reveal her secrets on this. What kind of dragon crafts are everybody planning for tomorrow? And what a great idea tie in. Yeah. Yeah. My wife uh, and, and Hogue House are doing some crafts during Lawyers and Dragons. Uh, they love crafts. They love creating. Uh, that might be a thing. We got a lot of plans here uh, to continue to have fun with you in new, different, and exciting ways. Apple Juice says D&D confuses me. I can't wait. Um, yeah. And, and what we've tried to put together, and people ask me this on Twitter, is a concept that is 100% accessible both to players that have never played, which we do have in this group, and people that have never understood or otherwise had fun, and engaging with that on a much more high-level basis than here's my armor rank and doing really fancy battle things. It's going to be storytelling and role-playing and having fun more than anything else. We'll see if it works. I'm confident that it will, uh, but we're going to have a great time. Uh, a Rundle hair wig, uh, blue. I I'd have to ask Ian. You know, we want to make sure uh, we keep uh, uh, we keep everything comatous, as I like to say. Um, and people always accuse me of using arcane or, or weird words. Just watch Stranger Things for D&D. Absolutely. Well, we're coming off of Stranger Things season four with all of its D&D stuff. And uh, my daughter is very jealous of not being able to be in Lawyers in Dragons directly. So we'll have to see uh, what happens there. Um, did you buy dice or just going digital? We'll be using digital dice for purposes of this, just for cleanliness in terms of a live stream where 6,000 things can go wrong. And we're hoping that none of them do. Um, but, you know, if we keep doing that, if my friends like it, if the chat likes it, if everybody is enjoying themselves, um, I, I could definitely see myself getting a little getting a little box of lawyer dice or otherwise having a good time. Um, so we'll, we'll, uh, we will see how it goes. Uh, is Alita the only one who hasn't played? No, um, I didn't. I No, she's not. Uh, and to be fair, I haven't played tabletop since I was playing Battletech in high school. So it has been a long time. Uh, when you're busy, like we are, it's often difficult to get that table together. And we'll be getting that table together tomorrow over, you know, uh, international datelines and things. Uh, but uh, uh, we're really, really looking forward to it. Uh, pew, pew. Hello, friends. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you, pew, pew. Thank you so much. Love supporting Hoag's Law. Merch store soon. We have a merch store. We're currently in Teespring. But fancier merch store is coming, considered an under construction sign. Uh, right now, I can tell you some of the stuff that's being worked on behind the scenes is super cool. So you can get excited about that. But um, me, co-counsel, we always try to get things right and up and running the right way. Uh, so we're taking a little bit extra time to make sure that that all works like it should. Um, so we're getting there. Uh, Hoag's Law or Hoag's Law, because those are very different things. Well, that's when I open my restaurant empire. Hoag's Law is just going to be a restaurant that serves different recipes of coleslaw. Um, so you can get excited about that. That'll be fun. Hoaglaw, Hoag Haberdashery sounds like a second business line. You know, 
I was just going to go with Hoag's hats or whatnot, but haberdashery sounds just hoity enough for me to really use on that. So that's that's good stuff. Okay. L-O-H-H is Ladies of Hoag House. You notice that I just skipped that being like, yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's the family. But um, yes, Ladies of Hoag House. Love that so much. Fantastic. That's a good, that is a good acronym. All right. Should we get to some, we should get to some headlines, right? I think we're all caught up on Super Chats. I want to make sure everybody's taken care of. It's only been... 45 minutes of us hanging out and chatting. I love it. Um, but uh, we should talk at least a little bit about what I put on the thumbnail. Uh, Terry Zaleski. Oh, and here's some additional coin to honor Mrs. Game Daddy. I'm going with Reasonable Daddy. I think I like that one the best. Thank you, co-counsel. Hug emoji, hug emoji, hug emoji. Uh, Hoax haberdashery for the win. <laughs> you guys are crazy. I love you. Um, so let's let's talk at least a little bit about this. Um, if you do get in, you know, Super Chats or other chats, Mark them with ad hoc law question, anything else. I will try to capture them uh, as we go through. Uh, but I want to talk about some of this stuff. Not a ton of substance to worry about here. I just want to point out like where things are bouncing around completely on this. Again, if you did watch the three-hour stream of us going through the complaint, you know a lot of what's happening in the documents uh, from Twitter to Elon Musk. If you don't, all you need to know is that Elon Musk rolled in with an offer for $54 a share, $44 billion total price, which I don't think is exactly what I would call it because it's actually like $38 billion with what he owns and he bought it at different prices. But neither here nor there, the overall value of the entity would be $44 billion. And he said he's terminating it. He's walking away because he asked for information on uh, establishing how many bots and fake accounts Twitter is monetizing. And people got on me in the comments for shortening DMAU to active users. This is fair. Um, I'm trying to establish what it is without having to say a somewhat amorphous acronym every time. But these are the users that Twitter thinks are real enough to give ads to. And it's what they charge uh, against when they're setting their prices for advertisements on their platform. Uh, right. And Elon Musk goes in there and says, I need all this information because I think you say that you have less than 5% of the monetized active users are fake and bots. And I think it's a lot more than that. And that's important to the value proposition of your company. Um, and uh, so he's making all these claims. He says, you didn't give me the information that is required under the merger agreement. And so I'm terminating. And when that happens, I do a video in this space. It says, well, that's a big risk because if he's wrong, if a court would find that he is not uh, otherwise uh, uh, in, in breach or, or that Twitter isn't in breach as he claims that they are, then by announcing that you are terminating, you're in breach because you've otherwise promised to call this deal. You've otherwise promised to buy this company for this share price. And that's basically what Twitter said. Twitter also said, you're in breach because you're making all these public statements. You're in breach because you're not pursuing your debt financing. You're in breach for a number of other reasons, which may or may not hold water at the end of the day, but they are properly pled and well argued. Um, and so then coming off of that complaint, people have all put in their two cents, right? So we've got a Hollywood Reporter article that comes in immediately after that talks about the Twitter stock price. Twitter shares rise as Wall Street sees likely win over Elon Musk in lawsuit. The social media company filed suit against the Tesla mogul to enforce his takeover of the platform. And this is happening immediately after uh, the complaint is filed. We can look at the Twitter stock price. We can see in the last six months, we can kind of follow along with what happened here. Kind of depressed, kind of depressed. Uh, the deal actually goes through. People think that it's pretty likely to happen, <clears throat> right? So they're buying shares at $50 or $51 uh, when, the, when the deal comes to fruition when it gets signed up. And then Elon says, I'm putting it on hold and it goes down. 
much less of a chance. This is the on hold kind of number. What is happening? Elon and Twitter fighting, uh, et cetera. And then Elon announces it's over, goes down to here. And then people reconsider it. People look at it and say, well, if we actually think about things, we're pretty much still at the on hold phase, right? So we're in the middle of happening, not happening. This gets presented, this bounce back up gets presented in the Hollywood Reporter as what Wall Street sees likely win. And I think even if we look at the text here, which we will, what they see is not guaranteed loss. And those might sound similar or the same, but they aren't. Not guaranteed loss basically means Twitter could potentially get something out of this. And I think that's what you're seeing here. But it's only returning basically to the Elon thinks it's on hold. Mom and dad are fighting. We don't know what's going to happen versus apocalypse, which is fair. Um, there are folks that think Twitter can win. When I go through that complaint, I say Twitter presents a strong argument and a, a good narrative for an individual that was playing games and asking pretextual questions about data. Pretext, of course, being lawyer code for lying liar who lies. Um, and that Twitter at least presents from its perspective of the world, a good reasonable belief that Elon was playing games with their hearts um, and was trying to get out of the deal as early as the top of May, um, where you see him start to apparently send letters that say, what about your bots and all this stuff after they correlate it to the Tesla stock going down, right? And I just pulled up an example. If you're not familiar with what's happening in the stock market, we're having a tough time here in 2022. I pulled up NASDAQ, um, but you can see it, it takes a big dive. It continues to kind of be down 16% over the last six months. Um, and so Twitter isn't really doing anything super weird here, but they are obviously going through a $54 price, which is up here at the top and whether or not that's going to come to consummation. So I don't think Wall Street um, sees a likely win as much as they see not a guaranteed loss uh, when we're looking at all of this stuff. But that's still important because when two titans fight, it's still worth noting what the uh, what the market thinks of these things. Now, I also generally have a problem, as you've heard me say in virtual legality, with a Wall Street sees kind of concept. One, because... Wall Street is an amalgamation of investors. It isn't a thing like that. It doesn't see things like that. Uh, it has different motivations. And then even if it did, even if this thing rocketed up and you could say, well, investors as a group are clearly enthused about X, Y, or Z, you don't actually know why. <clears throat> Nobody does, right? This is your thesis of what that analysis might be. You don't know that it couldn't be some kind of phase of the moon that just got everybody super excited about whatever it is you're talking about. Obviously, in this particular case, we're generally going to be talking about an acquisition that's either going to happen or not happen. But I always don't love rhetorically when you see this kind of concept. Wall Street isn't a monolith. And when you see people say why something happens in the stock market, it is always and forever a guess. Doesn't mean it's not an educated guess. And we can still take something from analysis like this. But it is a guess because, again, they don't have a monolithic view on anything. Anyway, look at that face. That's quite the photo selection from Hollywood Reporter. He looks like he's a Bond villain here. I know many of you might think that he actually is, but but, but he certainly looks like it in this picture, right? Elon X. Twitter shares closed up 8% on Wednesday. So this is a day or two old here. The market hasn't opened yet as I'm taping this. <clears throat> as Wall Street appeared to view the lawsuit filed against Elon Musk tipping in the company's favor. Again, it's it's after analyzing it, after reading the complaint like we did on the night, Twitter has a better case than one might think. And then you get this bump. Uh, we get the description of the lawsuit. 
Twitter, Wall Street, and others, however, believe Musk won't get away with it. It's, it's a raw assertion, right? I guarantee you that Twitter, Wall Street, and whoever the amorphous others are don't share a singular belief about what's going to happen here. They might generally think that Musk isn't going to walk away scot-free, but we'll see an article that suggests that he will, even though I think it's probably wrong in the other direction. <clears throat> and now you see Hollywood Reporter primarily quoting an analyst. Uh, here, Wedbush. This now becomes a game of odds, legal analysis, as the debate around Twitter's case against Musk starts to get factored into the stock. We believe many investors spent last night reading the case and ultimately concluded that this Game of Thrones battle in court will result in some version of a Twitter win. Now that's hedging, right? This is what analysts do. This is what lawyers do. You hear me hedge all the time. I use all sorts of probably words here, but this is saying some version of a Twitter win, they get a billion. They get a smaller portion of a billion dollars. Whatever it might be, that's technically a Twitter win. That's not what people think when they read the headline to The Hollywood Reporter, of course, but it could be exactly what happens here. One investment firm, more commonly known as a short seller, they believe Twitter stock will go down, tweeted that it was now taking a long-term position on Twitter. They now believe Twitter stock will go up with the bet that the company will likely prevail over Musk. We've accumulated a significant long position in shares of Twitter. Twitter's complaint poses a credible threat to Musk's empire. Now, that's interesting in and of itself uh, because Musk's empire is largely built on Tesla. This kind of analysis would suggest to me that you have a position on Tesla, not so much on Twitter. But either way, credible threat is just that. It's a, it's a credible threat. Twitter has a chance to cause some damage and to win. And on that, I would agree. You then get a little bit more background. Having mounted a public spectacle to put Twitter in play, this is the top of Twitter's complaint, just in case you haven't read it, and having proposed and then signed a seller-friendly merger agreement, Musk apparently believes that he, unlike every other person subject to Delaware contract law, is free to change his mind, trash the company, disrupt its operations, destroy stockholder value, and walk away. It really depends on what's in the contract, honestly. Uh, but Twitter has some good arguments that what is in the contract protects them. As part of the agreement, Musk also agreed to a $1 billion breakup fee if the deal could not be completed, which some argue could come into effect here. Everyone on earth should argue could come into effect. You've already got the weasel word with the could. You don't need to have the sum. Every lawyer, every contract analyst, every investor who's looking at this should believe that the billion dollar breakup fee could come into effect. Already protected. You're doubling up, Hollywood Reporter. There are a range of possibilities that can come from the Delaware court, including settlement, breakup fee paid, deal enforced, and a myriad of other outcomes. This is Wedbush again. For now, Twitter stock will continue to trade as a standalone basis with some incremental value for a win versus Musk in the courts, as the long and ugly courtroom battle now begins to play out in Delaware courts with a possible September trail, which I'm sure is trial. Trail is used a lot as the typo for trial on the calendar. Um, and that might well be the case. But even here, when you see this analyzed, it doesn't lead you to the headline, right? This is why we do headlines. Headlines are ridiculous very often. Uh, and The Hollywood Reporter falls into this trap. What this says is there is a portion of the purchase price baked into the possibility of Twitter winning, which in fact, I agree with entirely. This, this is people reading it and saying, eh, Twitter could win this. Because if Twitter wins, and especially if Twitter wins and gets a full-on forced sale, then the value of the stock is actually here. But the value of the stock being here doesn't mean that Wall Street bets on a massive Twitter win. It just means that Wall Street looks at it and says, eh, Twitter could do something. When Elon files his response document, you will probably see this bounce down a little bit. The market is funny that way. 
And when you're dealing with a law firm the size of Wachtell Lipton that Twitter is using, you should expect that when you finish reading the complaint document, you think, hmm, they don't have the worst case in the world. And then when you read Skadden Arps put together Elon Musk's response document, you should think, oh, yeah, they make a good point. And the market will bounce and bound and do what it does here. But this right here doesn't mean that Wall Street thinks that Twitter is going to get a big win, right? So the Hollywood Reporter putting together some stories. That's fine. Likely win. That's wrong. That's fine. And the Wall Street Journal, of course, having at least some notion of what Wall Street thinks, your mileage may vary on the op-ed page of the Wall Street Journal, of course, confuses the average layperson's understanding of all this, especially if they just finished reading The Hollywood Reporter with Twitter's lawsuit against Elon Musk looks like a loser. Oh, God. Right? Now, they go into analysis. I don't subscribe to The Wall Street Journal, so we'll look at the top here. We've got some more paragraphs here. We'll actually switch over to the author here. Uh, is It's a co-authored piece, but the authors appear to be both uh, at the University of Chicago Law School. If you aren't familiar with kind of the philosophies of the law schools, uh, University of Chicago is more of a, um, I don't know what you would call it, a, a libertarian kind of bent on law. Um, that doesn't always impact kind of corporate analysis here, uh, but I think it does a little bit. And so we'll look at the opening paragraphs here. We'll also look briefly at analysis done by another professor. I'll link that in the description if I remember to do so. Um, but they say, Twitter has sued Elon Musk, seeking to compel him to buy the company for $54.20 a share. Many observers think the company will prevail or that Mr. Musk is likely to uh, at least to pay the billion-dollar breakup fee. They are wrong. That's strong, by the way. Coming out with an opinion, that is straight up. They are wrong. He is likely to walk away largely unscathed, a belief reflected in Twitter's stock price. This case will be a good lesson on the limits of boilerplate merger agreements and the difference between a corporation and its shareholders. Now, what's interesting about this, right, is we just read The Hollywood Reporter tell you that this stock price means that Wall Street thinks they're likely to win. Now, I think The Hollywood Reporter is wrong there, but now you have a Wall Street Journal opinion that comes in and says this stock price means that Wall Street thinks that they will lose. That is a diametrically opposed position. Only one of those things can be right. I don't think that either actually are. The merger agreement in this case could be read in a way that permits a court to order Mr. Musk to buy Twitter, as most of them can. There's a specific performance clause. He and two entities he can, controls agreed that they would not oppose such an order, though that's still baked into what the court thinks is equitable, and that's not getting discussed as much. Through a remedy known as specific performance, you will do this thing. Although litigation is always uncertain, it is hard to imagine that a court would force the purchase of a $44 billion corporation. Now, if the law is blind and acting as impartially as it should be, the very fact that Delaware pretty regularly orders specific performance against what it considers to be bad actors in a scenario similar to what Elon Musk could have done here, at least as accused by Twitter, shouldn't change just because of the size of the deal. And even if it did change based on the size of the deal, Elon Musk is one of the few people on earth that can eat a $44 billion order like this. Specific performance is used fleetingly and for good reason. It is the ultimate act of coercion. Here you're getting some of that kind of University of Chicago flavor. And it makes sense only when there is no alternative. If one agrees to sell Hearst Castle but tries to back out when a higher bid emerges, a court may specifically enforce the contract. There's only one Hearst Castle and no other remedy can make the jilted buyer whole, which is just a reference to something else. But of course, there is already a fiduciary duty carve out in the merger agreement between Elon Musk and Twitter for a competing bidder because the board has a fiduciary duty to maximize the value of the stock in Twitter 
for its stockholders. So I'm not sure this analogy holds up. And this is all we have is the opening three paragraphs. Like I said, we do get some folks responding. This is Professor Bainbridge who talks a little bit about this. There's some more paragraphs he finds. Uh, Delaware courts have rarely ordered specific performance in merger agreements. And I think this professor rightly calls out what I've found in my research, which is effectively the number of cases in which Delaware courts have been asked to grant specific performance of a merger agreement is relatively small. The ask is not usually make this deal happen, but the percentage of those cases in which Delaware courts have granted specific performance against a buyer wrongfully seeking to renege is relatively high. That if we were to look at this outside of a vacuum and actually evaluate how the state of Delaware operates, you would look at specific performance, which is something courts don't like to do. They don't like to make you do things if money would otherwise solve problems. And Delaware says, because they are the heart of American corporations and they have an interest vested in making sure essentially corporate contracts are um, uh, honored uh, in their state, that they will more likely than other courts in similar circumstances move forward with forcing you to buy the damn company. Um, and I think that's correct. Heaton and Henderson in the Wall Street Journal also opine that if Mr. Musk doesn't want to buy Twitter, it doesn't make much sense for a court to make him do so. And I think that's looking at things from the wrong perspective. Uh, now, the professor here has his own take on it, but reading a sentence like that, it's not about what Mr. Musk wants. If he's going to own the entire company outright, that's his bailiwick to deal with after this deal is consummated. This is about protecting the stockholders who believe that they have a right to $54.20 for each share of stock that they own have been kind of played around with by this person who said that it has happened, have spent the company's time and resources and board attention and everything else. And to some extent, neither the company nor the stockholders care about whether or not Mr. Musk wants to buy it. He has agreed to give them 50 bucks plus for their shares. Uh, and I think that's how the court is more likely to look at it. Now, there are also arguments here that I think the professor dispatches with, well, goodbye, ladies of Hogue House. Um, and... Um, there is a concern that Elon Musk will take the Delaware court order if Delaware orders specific performance and simply ignore it. Uh, and this professor says, I can't see that working out. Uh, I can't imagine the Delaware courts letting Musk blatantly scoff at a court order. Imagine what would happen to Delaware deals if suddenly merger agreements with bulletproof performance language and court holdings aren't specifically enforceable after all. It would be a huge blow to Delaware. I think that's right. Uh, and obviously that's politics and we don't want um, a court to be basing it solely on what is the economic interests of Delaware here. Uh, so this is kind of a real politic analysis. Uh, but I also don't think that Elon Musk would have as easy of a time ignoring a court order uh, as um, some people think that he would. Now, if he doesn't have the financing, he doesn't have the financing. We get into some weird issues there. Um, but that's that's also in here. There's also a discussion of the breakup fees. Breakup fees are supposed to reflect damages caused by a breach of contract. They aren't supposed to act as a penalty. Given that Twitter isn't obviously worse off by a billion dollars, if at all, a court might balk at imposing such a high fee. I think the professor here rightly says effectively that, no, no, when you're talking about sophisticated corporations and they put a number on these things, the courts are going to listen to them nine times out of 10 because it's impossible to know what Twitter was actually damaged by. So they put a number on it. This isn't, you know, bumpkins reading end user license agreements and having things buried in that force somebody to pay $10 million to somebody else or arbitrate it in Nova Scotia or wherever. This is two sophisticated parties with freaking Skadden Arps and Wachtell Lipton behind them. And yes, if you put a billion dollars as your walkaway fee, we're going to honor a billion dollars. I tend to think that that's right from the Delaware courts as I have observed them. Um, and then kind of discussions on lawyers and legal arguments here. Suffice it to say, 
the real issue I have, the reason I brought this up is that I, I see the media, I see headlines and I see impossibility and continued impossibility for people to kind of figure out what's going on. These are very prominent outposts. This is the Wall Street Journal's opinion. It says it looks like a loser. I don't think it does. I think this is fundamentally wrong, but it's certainly one of the threads, the strains of thought that's going on about this deal, as well as this, which is, you know, Twitter's going to win. You have a lot of people saying Twitter win. I had a professor of mine from University of Michigan who I couldn't find the quote for uh, that gave one to, I want to say like Business Law Insider or something like that. Um, and there was a, it was an article about a number of people today from the law professor's perspective. Yeah, Twitter's got a strong case. I think that both sides have a very fact-specific case uh, and that no provision of the merger agreement is a silver bullet for either side, uh, even though a lot of folks are reading more into the words of that merger agreement than I would recommend on a real politic, having gone through the wars basis on how these things actually look in practice uh, and how fights happen, not at the $44 billion level. I'm not going to claim that kind of experience, but certainly I have seen arguments handled with merger agreements. And I think especially the academic side of thing, law professors in general uh, are, tend to see things a little bit outside of how a court sees things. Uh, and that's not to say a court um, is purely motivated by Delaware economic considerations or um, politics, uh, but they do tend to read contracts a little bit more like people actually wrote them uh, rather than um, as intellectual academic treatises, which I think professors are a little bit more inclined to do. Um, so those are the those are the Elon Musk articles that are about specifically how the deal is going to go. And then you get to things like Vanity Fair here in a purely white page because this is kind of an art avant-garde piece. And it's definitely not because it's not loading very quickly. Uh, that says Elon Musk versus Twitter, everyone loses, right? You always have the option for pox on both houses. Uh, so those are the various flavors that we see in the opinion pieces. Elon Musk's going to win. Twitter's going to win. And screw them all. We're not rich. Uh, let the rich people deal with their issues. And this is an article that has a bunch of stuff in it. Uh, one of the things that they pointed out was they say, insiders I spoke with said the complaint, like banked obituaries, like when you write something in advance of somebody dying for a newspaper, was in the works long before Musk pulled out of the deal, a sign that this entire charade was almost certain to end up exactly where it is now. Uh, this goes too far in its assumptions, right? I have no doubt that when Elon Musk, the world's richest man, starts to complain about information, puts out a tweet that says the deal is on hold, starts to act erratically, which I think even Elon Musk's letters, if we really read them, suggests that he was, that you start talking to your people and saying, let's prep what a litigation would look like here. What are the arguments? Make sure that you're putting all the memos in the file about what his requests are, how we're trying to respond to them. Uh, and I think you probably see that in the shadow of potential litigation as soon as Twitter starts responding to those data requests as it described itself doing as best it could and bending over backwards, et cetera. Does that mean that this was a charade or a charade, however you want to pronounce that? No, it, it doesn't. It means that a good corporate board, a good legal firm is going to be ready for contingencies and would have started that process because it makes sense to spend that money and that time and that resources once things start getting a little bit weird. Uh, with Mr. Musk. So it's preparing for disaster, not assuming <clears throat> that that disaster is inevitable. One insider I spoke with offered the following analogy. This all increasingly feels like Fargo, where the Twitter board thought they had convinced a guy to take slash kidnap the company and they would profit from it. And the guy they convinced to take slash kidnap the company was a madman. And he shot a cop or three, rolled a car and now wants to toss everything into the wood shipper. 
And I really like that analogy. Again, we have anonymous sources here. We're not taking them really uh, for the truth of the matter asserted. So we don't have to read this article with the normal chip on our shoulder or, or salt. Uh, but I just really like that analogy because I do think that there's a certain amount of feeling from the Twitter side of things that say we swallow the poison pill. We don't want to be bought by this crazy person. But once we're in, hey, $54, are you kidding me? $54, we can get out of having to deal with this company and all of the issues that it's had. We can get everybody paid $54 and we can walk away. That is not the worst thing in the world. And then this spirals and spirals and spirals. And now it does look a little bit like a Coen Brothers film. Unless you've got some weird fetish for reading M&A legal filings, you probably haven't dug too deeply into the tit for tat between Musk and Twitter. I, I don't I don't know what you all like um, in this space, but I just want to say when I read about folks having a weird fetish for reading M&A filings, I feel seen, Vanity Fair. I feel seen. So thank you for that. We definitely didn't spend three hours going over the complaint directly. And I think 15,000 people, 20,000 people have watched that along with me at this point. So if there is a group with this particular weird fetish for reading M&A legal filings, well, by God, virtual legality is finding them. As I sang earlier, tell your friends. Uh, and that's this article. Uh, will the deal go through? No one knows. What happens to Twitter if it does, or more importantly, does not? Unclear. A lot of good answers in this article. Was this all a ploy to give Musk cover to sell a bunch of Tesla stock? Huh? Is he playing some other Jedi mind trick? Your guess is as good as mine. Solid, right? What I like about the navel-gazing, chin-stroking, pox on both houses articles, you don't actually have to come up with a thesis, right? Who knows? Let's just hate on the rich, right? Twitter. Everybody hates Twitter. Hellscape. Absolutely. Let's hate on Elon Musk. Sure. He's hateable. Why not? And get to the end and say, well, at least one pundit has suggested Musk could go to jail for not following through with this deal. But let's be realistic. No one's tossing the world's richest man in jail. I do agree that jail is out. There's absolutely no reason to jail someone for breach of contract. Um, so we'll see there. I, I guess that's kind of a fraud scenario. I don't think Elon Musk is committing fraud. I think he's, he's uh, a wild card actor. According to three insiders I spoke with, there are three realistic scenarios for what happens next with this deal. I don't know who these insiders are, too. Law firms? Twitter? Camp Elon? I don't know. In the first scenario, Musk comes up with some miraculous story about bots and evil pixies and such not to get out of the deal, but to negotiate a much lower price for Twitter. Some folks think that. I think he might just want to walk away after having damaged Twitter's reputation, which he then goes ahead and buys. In the second, a Delaware court demands that Musk complete the deal, and he simply refuses. These are not the only scenarios, folks. In fact, these are kind of the unlikely versions of these scenarios, I would say. Most likely is if he proves this stuff, he walks away. Um, he could still be negotiating for a lower price. It's a possibility. Uh, if the Delaware court orders him to complete the deal, he's not going to simply refuse. Uh, if this were going to be a legal process where he's trying to not buy Twitter, he would try to establish that he can't get the financing. Do you have to believe him, especially when he owns as much Tesla stock as he does? No, but he wouldn't simply refuse. I don't think we'd look at a situation where he'd just be in straight up contempt of Delaware court. But I say that as someone that thinks rationally about these things. And in all honesty, he's done weirdly irrational things from my perspective in terms of flouting the SEC and making various statements that I would not have recommended. I think Skadden is very much uh, dealing with corralling a client, right? We saw this with Amber Heard v. Johnny Depp. We saw that Team Bredehoff, Rottenborn, clearly had issues with managing Amber Heard. We, we saw that in cross-examination and direct examination. I think Skadden Arps has had difficulties um, dealing with uh, Elon Musk here. You could tell there was a strain 
on some of the things that they were saying in the letter that they wrote. Uh, we talked about that in that video. And in the third, Musk succeeds in getting out of the deal without paying a penalty. See, I actually think that this is this is wildly reductive. Uh, there's like a thousand different scenarios that kind of fit within uh, a lot of this um, kind of uh, templating. Uh, but one of them is, you know, he pays a portion of the penalty. They settle for a, a discount rather than a lawsuit. They do all sorts of kinds of things like this. But that's that's all you're getting from Vanity Fair. That, that's the end. Pox on both houses. We don't know what's going on. Some of this stuff might happen. Here's an insider talk about Fargo and also virtual legality. We see you. Um, but I wanted to bring that up because, again, you're seeing all these kinds of things. It's been a heck of a week for Elon and Twitter, and I, I find it all fascinating. Um, and then lastly, if you're all interested, let's talk through some super chats. Let's chat about these articles. And then uh, we do have that Debbie Heard article we can look at um, that Emily D. Baker recommended that we go through in this space. Uh, so let's uh, make sure we grab all of these uh, before we say we did the super chats. And we get uh, Nicholas Starro, unionist labor law. My bet is Musk will buy Twitter for $34 a share. That is a discount. You think he's getting a $20 discount? Okay. That is, I like that. That is, you're putting yourself out there uh, for that. I don't know why Twitter would sell at what amounts to, oh, sorry, Lawyers and Dragons, a market price. There's 36 right now. There's some indication that this 32 is where some folks think the true value is. Um, I don't see it going that low. Um, I think he could potentially get a haircut on on the deal price uh, from 54 to say, I don't know, 50, 48, something like that. Um, but I would be surprised uh, if a deal gets done for 34. And I'd be surprised if actually the stockholders kind of went with that if the market's otherwise selling to them uh, at something like that price. Uh, but thank you for the comment. <clears throat> Britt Cormier, Elon versus Twitter. Elon, I will buy you. Twitter, no way will we ever allow that. Elon, you're right, and I'm walking away. Twitter, you cannot walk away, we will sue. Yeah, well, I mean, that's true. <laughs> Twitter says, no, we don't want to sell. Their lawyers to get to them, they say, well, you, you know, $54 is pretty good. Uh, the board says, yeah, okay, that's right, $54. And now Elon's like, eh, we, I don't want to spend that. Um, I'm walking away and then Twitter says, no, no, we, we are, we're already spending the $54. Um, so come back. We don't want to deal with this company anymore. We're done. Come by our company, but you're right. I think this is what Elon was commenting on when he tweeted out about it being ironic. Definitely. Right. And Brick Cormier again, Elon be playing a long game offers to buy forces Twitter to hand over data, but cannot make it public due to NDA then threatens to leave. So he gets sued and can release info into case file. Well, that's the meme that he put out there right? That uh, in order to sue him, they're going to have to deal with their bot information. I'm not as sure that that is in fact the case, right? Because the question doesn't necessarily rely on what the bot information is, although he's claiming a material adverse effect in the SEC filings. So they might have to prove that uh, one way or the other. Um, but his primary argument is that they're not turning over information that he's requested. And that's where the biggest fight comes from, in my opinion, is to whether or not they are actually complying with that covenant or not. Um, and there's some interesting language in there that requires them to do it for any reasonable business purpose, um, but also allows them to not have to give information if they think it would be anti-competitive to them if the deal were to fall through. So you get into a court fight, you get into judges' reasonable discretion on these things, and anybody that tells you that they can promise what the Delaware Court of Chancery will do on those kinds of analyses is lying to you. We can give best guesses. We can talk about what we see in that agreement and what we would do if we were potentially sitting there as a judge, uh, but 
in the absence of discovery and in the absence of what those email chains might look like, how people were communicating about what they asked for and what ideas they wanted to convey, uh, we're guessing as to what that looks like. And I think that's the strongest argument. Twitter basically says he's asking for crazy stuff. We don't have it. We don't have to make it for him. Elon saying this is normal stuff. I'm evaluating the company. Twitter says he waived due diligence. They're wrong on that. Elon says I didn't. Uh, but Twitter then says they're ask he's asking for more stuff than he should be under this provision. Very possibly. And that'll be an evaluation by a judge in a court of law. Um, and, you know, yes, people get excited about this trial. I don't think it will necessarily be a trial. If it is, we'll be covering it here. I would get excited, folks, if you're interested that this is going to be a much longer playlist than I thought it would be looking into Epic versus Apple kind of thing, looking at, uh, you know, response documents, looking at some other stuff that we might see. I think it'll be fun, uh, but I don't know that we'll get to an actual like courtroom fight between these entities. I would doubt that very much. That, Sarah, happy Friday, isn't it? Happy Friday to you. Merch idea equals M&A pinup calendar, the good, bad, and ugly, AOL Time Warner, AT&T Bell South, Disney Pixar, Exxon Mobil. So many choices, <clears throat> like just two giant corporate logos or like a little summary of the deal. Here's where the mouse ate Fox and took control of like 40% of all uh, movie media uh, that is created uh, in the world. <laughs> Something like that could be fun. I like it. Big time mergers and acquisitions and what went wrong. We'd have to have Microsoft Activision in there, right? That's what everybody asks me about the most uh, right now, the biggest uh, merger slash acquisition in, I think it's entertainment history. It might just be video game history. We'd have to look at the numbers there. But obviously, $70 billion, it's a lot of money, even even for a company like Microsoft. Uh, but I love the idea. Thank you so much. Um, JoJo, thank you for the super chat. Thank you for supporting the channel. I really appreciate it. Um, let's see, what else do we have here? Uh, the judge in the case started her career working for legal aid and is on record as implying that's where she'd still be if it paid better. She's unlikely to have any sympathy for a scumbag billionaire. Well, in this particular instance, you've got rich people on both sides. Um, so, yeah, I don't think that you'd have sympathy. Judge isn't really supposed to be evaluating things just based on like people's bank account statements. Um but Elon Musk is very often a non-sympathetic figure. You raise a good point there, and, and a court will look at those kinds of things. But I wouldn't read too much into a judge's history, especially once they find themselves on the Delaware Court of Chancery. That is the business court um, for Delaware. They're dealing with businesses every day. Um, and so they will have already dealt with millionaires and multimillionaires and, and probably billionaires uh, when you're talking about the Delaware Court of Chancery. And, and they're very good at being consistent as to how they treat these things. That's really why so many investors and so many corporations like them here in 2022. Accident of history to get Delaware to where it was, but then they maintain it with a very efficient, uh, timely, uh, and consistent process with their courts, 100%. In fact, a lot of Michigan corporate law and a number of other states' corporate law basically say, if we haven't dealt with it before, what did Delaware do? Uh, as a kind of not binding precedent, but informative precedent, it's that's directly written into the way Michigan handles these things. Um, so yeah, Delaware is, is looked at uh, why is it filed in Delaware? Twitter's a Delaware corp. Almost every public corporation uh, in the United States is domiciled, uh, operates under the laws of the state of Delaware. Uh, and that's primarily because um, investors, as you grow, so Twitter was a venture capital ba uh, backed company before it was a public company. Investors want to have a Delaware corp because it is thought that investors understand how Delaware law works how its precedent works, and how disputes would likely be adjudicated in the Delaware court system. Um, so 
for me, for instance, if I've got a client that's a Michigan LLC, they're tech spinoff from the university or otherwise kind of small, and then they're going to get institutional investment, big day, lots of fun. Um, one of the very first bullet statements on that term sheet will say something along the lines of thou shalt convert into a Delaware C corporation. And we do that. That's the first step in almost every deal that we do if they aren't already a Delaware C corporation. That's just the way the United States financial backing system works for small to medium-sized companies. Um, and I think I answered that for the why so many businesses in Delaware. I might do a video. Hey, why Delaware? We'll do five minutes, 10 minutes. It's an accident of history. The states were fighting over it back when corporations were just really uh, starting to get big. Delaware said, hey, come on over here. They won. Somebody was going to win. And then there is a network effect like a Facebook or otherwise uh, to having one body of law that the investors can depend on being applied. Um, so that's that's that. Heather's saying 70, did you say $70 billion on Microsoft Activision? Technically, I believe it's 68. Uh, but yes, it's a $70 billion purchase where Microsoft is purchasing the makers of Call of Duty and World of Warcraft. And honestly, more importantly, Candy Crush. Um, and uh, they're doing it for just under $70 billion. Lots of sword rattling about whether or not the EU is going to step in or the UK or the FTC. It is a playlist. I believe it's called Microsoft Times Activision. If you're interested, Again, if you if you got seven, eight hours to kill, I think we've got that much time in that playlist. I wish it told me the total time uh, somewhere. Maybe it does. You can let me know. Uh, but uh, yeah, that playlist is getting long and will only get longer. Uh, and it's probably where you've seen me, if you've seen me at all, most often giving quotes um, to places like uh, Law Insider and uh, other places uh, online because folks are interested in that Microsoft Activision deal very, very much. T in Tennessee, so generous of you. Thank you so much for the super sticker. I really appreciate it. Good Friday morning to you. Um, and then, yeah, it's almost nine o'clock. We, we should we could squeeze in one more article, right? This is a special request. We can we can do this. We can make this happen. So let's talk a little bit at the end here, the end of all things about debt be heard, right? You might not be familiar with this case. You might not know this. It's certainly not the fact that we've covered it all here. Uh, but this from NBC, Opinion Analysis Essays, please don't sue us for defamation, uh, is the companion to this documentary thing. Um, and this documentary thing I've talked about in this uh, episode already is essentially kind of interviews that have been edited and lines pulled out to give certain impressions about what happened in Depp Be Heard. You see the thesis here. Johnny Depp, Amber Heard, and truth in the age of social media, already implying that, that truth is at issue. What was the truth? What is the truth? What could be the truth isn't otherwise coming out because of the way we interact with TikTok or because you're here with us, a thousand of us here on a Friday morning in virtual legality. Uh, and obviously that thesis has its own particular issues, but they, they wrote them some things to go along with it. So haven't highlighted this one. Emily D. Baker says last night, sends me a DM, says, you got to go over this. Let's talk about it. The maelstrom of reporting on the recent Johnny Depp Amber Heard defamation trial overlooked a key aspect of the case. Did it? All right, cool. Heard did not actually write any of the statements that formed the basis of the defamation claims against her. Specifically, it was made clear during the trial that the American Civil Liberties Union had written the article, which contained two of the three statements at issue, and the third statement at issue, the headline of the article, was written by a Washington Post editor. Let's talk about this first paragraph, right? Okay, so one, um, she was 
part of the editing process deeply. There are email exchanges that were put forth in court that established that she was responsible for contouring the information that was delivered in the actual opinion editorial. Yes, she had a writer because she's an actress and doesn't regularly write. And the ACLU wanted to get its messaging out there and control how that messaging was delivered. Totally normal. That doesn't mean that the person who's putting it under their name and byline and who will later tweet out that they did in fact write it um, isn't responsible for the information in the document. It's that that is a silly, naive way of thinking about any of these things. And by the way, the defamation claim that Amber Heard wins for her $2 million were not statements made by Johnny Depp at all. And there is no evidence on the record that Johnny Depp knew that they were being said. Now, I think we can imply it. I think the jury did imply it. That's totally fine. But it's a weird point to bring up as the start of your scholarly thesis here that she didn't actually write it because the ACLU did. Are you freaking kidding me? Okay. All right. So we're starting off strong. Like I said, I did not preview this. So this is all my raw reactions as we go through this. Uh, but yeah, what, what, a, what a start. What a start to this article. So if Heard did not actually write the statements, even though she was listed as the author, how was she found to have defamed Depp? The answer, at least for Depp's lawyers and presumably the jury. Yes, let's not forget that there was a unanimous jury verdict after listening to evidence for seven weeks. Let's not forget that. Is that Heard republished the article when she tweeted a link to it and she is therefore just as liable for the content of the article as if she had written the whole thing herself. Jesus Christ. Okay. All right. They're conflating the republication concept, right? So Johnny Depp's team needs the republication concept for the headline, where we know that she had nothing to do with it. Amber Heard's team doesn't fight one bit in court, in evidence, that she wrote the op-ed itself. She claims it. She takes credit for it. Hell, in the last day of the trial testimony, she says it was about Johnny Depp that she wrote it. You have emails exchanged as to what the contours of it were. You have her submitting it to her lawyer to make sure, poorly as it turns out, that it doesn't defame Johnny Depp and doesn't cross too many lines. She changes, tweaks, and adds things specifically in the lines that are at issue in this court case. And like somehow this article in NBC News, one of our country's biggest news outlets, goes out with the theory has to be republication. No. The theory is republication on the headline because there's no evidence that she knew about it or had anything to do with it. This wasn't even fought in court. What the hell are we talking about? Okay, I'm glad I'm reading this, but my God. The implications are chilling. The implications of this? Okay, all right. Based on the jury's finding, anytime someone posts a link or references a defamatory story with even a few non-defamatory words of approval, they have published a defamatory statement. According to the jury, Heard's statements merely summarizing the article without reference to Depp or her relationship with him was enough to count as republishing it, which creates a major setback for the Me Too movement and social media users generally. This is a wild misstatement of what happened here. But let's say that we were only talking about the headline, like a normal person who understood the evidence and understood this case. If we were only talking about the headline, I suppose there is a conceivable platonic ideal of a slippery slope that says you could get in trouble for retweeting an article and saying, you guys should check this out because republication requires you to try to deliver something to a new audience and uh, doing that in a retweet format would work. The issue you have there is the mens rea requirement, the mental state requirement, right? Amber Heard gets in trouble because according to the jury, 
which these articles aren't doing enough of. But according to the jury, she's lying, right? The jury allows for you to call it a hoax. The jury finds for Johnny Depp as being defamed that he did not abuse Amber Heard. So she is lying when she does this. And she is doing so deliberately for just the headline. Just the headline, we know she's lying. But if we assume this crazy legal theory that is not at all accurate from a freaking... From a professor of law at the University of Louisville. Okay. All right. Okay. I see why Emily wanted me to read this, but it's giving my blood pressure a raise here on a Friday morning. Um, So from a professor of law, if they were using some kind of legal theory that made any sense at all, um, we would know that if they're republishing even the whole thing, that if you know it's a lie, then you've got an issue. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty comfortable with the notion that I could get in trouble if I know something's a lie and I'm trying to push it out to more people. Um, That is what is required here. So the implications are chilling for liars who defame. They aren't nearly as chilling for you or I who look at a, oh, I don't know, uh, a wildly incorrect NBC News article. uh, And we tweet that out and say, this is really interesting. You should check that out. Uh, Because even it's wild incorrectness is not known by us. And we have a reason, which is becoming ever so more fraught as we do more headlines episodes, to look at that situation and say, I should be able to trust NBC News, right? When you talk about defaming someone, if you have direct knowledge, you got a real problem with their lies, which is what Amber Heard was found to have, direct knowledge that she wasn't abused and she did it anyway. But everybody else gets to rely on one level down, right? We don't talk about this as much, but you look at the UK case and the question wasn't whether or not the son was lying directly. It was, could the son rely on Amber Heard? And for the most part, the answer is yes. If you've got a domestic abuse accusation that's really only going to be determinable by two people for the most part, and you're trying to evaluate whether a newspaper can rely upon one of the parties in those closed door meetings, the answer has to be yes. Who else are you going to rely upon? Um, And so you can get into sourcing, you can get into wild, fanciful ideas on whether there should be a backstop of those kinds of things. And we can disagree. Uh, with what the Sun judged finally determined, but it was always a different thing than evaluating whether Amber Heard was lying herself. It's the same reason I would argue that Johnny Depp doesn't sue the Washington Post, right? This article goes up in the Washington Post, but the Washington Post and the ACLU have every reason to believe Amber Heard. There's no reason to not uh, take her on her faith. And more importantly, when we're talking about the First Amendment and the right to freedom of speech, we want people to be able to say, you're a source, you were there, we know you were there, we have to be able to trust you and go forward with articles like this, right? But the person at issue, if they're lying, that's a problem. So the implications aren't chilling. This isn't a particularly dangerous, slippery slope. That's even outside of the fact that you get everything wrong at the top of this article. Until the Depp Heard case, the republication standard had traditionally been limited in most states by the single publication rule which states that multiple copies of the same libelous publication cannot be counted as separate defamatory publications unless each publication was intended to reach a different audience. This rule was created to protect newspapers from multiple defamation lawsuits stemming from a single article that appeared in every paper published that day. Yeah, if the Washington Post defamed someone uh, and they just lied about someone and they were going to be found liable, we want them to be held liable for the article as a whole, the one instance, and not whatever their circulation is, 39 million. Now know that that isn't how we treat copyright, right? When you have a pirated copy of a ROM or something, they come at you with the hammer that every time it was downloaded, it counts as a separate instance of infringement. I, well, I don't know what to tell you. The law is not consistent on these kinds of things and newspapers have more sway 
<clears throat> than software pirates. But as we look at these kinds of things, um, this is implying here in this article that the law was changed, and I can assure you it was not. You can see the single publication rule in the instructions to the members of the jury in the Depp Heard trial, whose members were told they could find Heard republished the article if she distributed it with the goal of reaching new audience or affirmatively reiterated the statement. The jury instructions also stated that merely including a hyperlink does not constitute republication, though adding content to the link might. However, the instruction did not elaborate on what adding content meant. Oh, probably this today I published does a lot of work, right? And I want to give you my headspace here as I'm watching this trial, because I don't get the evidence in advance. I did get this little tweet in advance because I was curious. So I, that's, I will admit, uh, that's the one day that I cheated on uh, the, the jury rule, and it was by about 24 hours um, because we knew it was coming. Um, and I said, well, if it's just if it's just this, if you had just retweeted this, like you just take this article and you or you take the Washington Post's, right? Undoubtedly, the Washington Post Twitter page has something that had this article on December 19th, 2018, and you retweet it. I don't think you get into trouble on republishing. I think you could. I think it would be argued. But I think if it's just a retweet of the Washington Post article coming out from their Washington Post Twitter feed, I think Amber Heard survives this republication on, on what is the headline and not the whole article, goddammit. Uh, but um, she didn't do that. She instead found the URL, put it into her tweet, and then wrote, today I published and talked about what it was, changed it, recontextualized what the article was about. What other meaning could our requirement that you do something to reach a new audience mean? And that's what the jury found. That's what Judge Ezkarate found as being available to find republication. Heard's tweet, linked to the post story, they quote the Heard tweet. In her post, Heard doesn't mention Depp. You don't have to redefame him there, law professor. Though to be fair, neither did the article. I see you, see what you're doing. And the tweet itself was not included in the list of statements provided to the jury to de determine whether defamation occurred. It's the republication nexus. It's not a separate defamation. What is happening? Or since Emily sent it, I have questions. Indeed, the tweet is even further removed from Depp, the person claiming to have been defamed in the story itself because it's a republication nexus, because it does not mention Heard's own struggles with domestic violence. Furthermore, I see they, they feel they're, they're, they're sowing their oats here. They feel like they're making some good points. I, I, uh, I disagree. Um, so we've got that going for us. Furthermore, it is difficult to imagine how Heard's tweet could have cleared either of the two bars defining the act of republication. Difficult to imagine. Reaching a different audience through a tweet seems ludicrous when the Post's website already had international reach. Really? So, so law professor, just to be clear, you think every follower of Amber Heard's is also a follower of the official Washington Post Twitter. Could it be, I'm just positing here, could it be that some people follow celebrities and not news organizations or, or follow some of either category, but not the other concomitant party in the opposite category? Could it be? I know it's difficult for you to imagine, but that suggests more about your imagination uh, than the actual theory here. So I'm just going to throw it out there. In fact, other cases have found that social media posts don't change the reach when the original publication already has a large audience by virtue of being on a prominent publicly accessible news website. Okay, other 
cases can find that. This is a jury question that was submitted properly. The jury's finding in this case goes against existing precedent. Jury doesn't have precedent. What are we talking about? That posting on social media does not republish an article, but merely expands the reach of the original publication. She wrote, I published it. Okay. All right. Is Amber Heard right to appeal the Johnny Depp defamation case verdict? Uh, can I just get a, can I just get the, the answer to the poll? I don't know if I can. I don't, that's going to take me to another website. I don't want to go there. I don't want to give you an answer. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll read that later. Similarly, there was no reiteration of the defamatory language made clear by the fact that the tweet itself wasn't provided to the jury as a possibly defamatory statement. So the jury seems to be indicating that just by summarizing the article in a positive way, a tweet with a hyperlink can be considered a separate publication. Again, this decision could have a massive impact on anyone retweeting things online, particularly those participating in campaigns like Me Too, in which many tweets are merely statements of approval or sympathy with another story. Yes, if you retweet something that you know is false, you've got an issue, okay? I don't give legal advice here, but if you do that, you've got a problem. Everybody else that looks at a potential accusation and says, you should read this blog post. Uh, it sounds horrible or whatnot. Even if that proved to be false later from the actual person, and, and God, I hope not, right? False versions of these accusations are heinous. It's why they have to be stamped out so thoroughly, which is what the media is failing to do here. Um, if that proves to be false, the fact that you uh, believed it and passed it on is not separately defamatory because you lack the knowledge and could otherwise trust it. Now, the more you get into the dark webs and the weirdness of it, you can potentially be more obligated under those things. But if it were in a news article in NBC News and you passed it on and it later proved to be false, no. In 999,999 times out of a million, you are not going to be responsible for that defamation. And I say that in that terms because I'm a lawyer and I can't make guarantees. I just can't. It's not in my DNA, despite what this law professor might otherwise tell you. So I can't make a guarantee on that because there could be a wild fact and circumstance that I don't have the imagination, much like this author, to actually conceive of right now sitting here with you. And yet... I'm still willing to say, if you don't have personal knowledge of the events, you are going to be okay if you're otherwise sharing a reputable source. Now, is NBC a reputable source? I have questions. <laughs> but for right now, if it counts as authoritative to Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, you can probably get away with it. Will they continue to be authoritative? I think we're seeing that it's sliding away. Um, here's Alyssa Milano tweets. After all, the tweet by actor Alyssa Milano that dramatically bolstered the Me Too movement back in 2017 states, if you've been sexually harassed or assaulted, write Me Too as a reply to this tweet. Milano later said her tweet was inspired by the media coverage of Harvey Weinstein. If she had linked to the original New York Times article and had later been found to be defamatory, the standard set by Depp Heard could extend def defamation liability to her and potentially every other person who responded, some tens of thousands of people. Bullshit. I am sorry, mothers and fathers of kids who like to start the day eating a wholesome breakfast, watching Virtual Legality. Uh, but that deserved a little bit of French. If you're retweeting the New York Times, you can depend on the New York Times vetting process. Maybe you shouldn't be able to as we look through all these articles, but 100% you can. The jury's instruction statement there must be additional content beyond the posting of a hyperlink is likewise vague and dangerous. The phrase Me Too is literally two words of additional content. She didn't just post Me Too. Why are we making up things? That phrase links the original story to a new story of abuse or mistreatment for the author, and it connects the original story to a bigger picture of widespread <clears throat> mistreatment of women. Here as well, recent court cases have provided more protection than the recent jury verdict did. 
Appellate courts have stated that merely referencing an article or approving of it does not create a separate publication. That's not what happened here. Specifically, if text added to a posted link does not name the plaintiff or reiterate the defamatory content, the single publication rule bars considering the online reference to the defamatory publication. Such online references merely call attention to the existence of the article and do not present the defamatory content themselves. The impact of the jury verdict is difficult to predict, particularly because Heard's lawyers have said they will appeal it. Even if the verdict stands, a single jury verdict has no official precedential value. Just like the jury doesn't have to follow quote unquote precedent. They're fact finders. It cannot be relied upon by other courts for their own cases, but the fact that this highly publicized verdict was handed down may be enough to prevent others from speaking up. What is most troubling here is that nobody is listening to me is that trial showed how careful Heard was when approving of the Washington Post article. The story didn't mention that she was abused. What? And her tweet says nothing about her own experiences with death. She said, two years ago, I became a representative of domestic abuse. I don't, look, I think you can argue the implication in certain respects. She certainly says she was abused, but she was still found to have defamed her ex-husband. Most women do not have Heard's resources or access to legal counsel. They don't have their own Elaine. They may well decide that it is better to not risk saying anything. I very heartfelt, very earnest. I think this person, we can every reason believe the sincerity of their poorly held and poorly thought out position. So we don't need to ad hominem attack the author here. It's just wrong and flatly illogical, which happens, right? We're people. Uh, but yes. All right. Emily D. Baker, I see you got me to swear just a little bit. Um, and thank you for sharing that article with me uh, today. We're getting it off my screen though. We, we've got some We've got some super chats. Oh, I'm dipping into Emily's cursy words jar. You don't have to worry, chat. Uh, she could pay for that one. Um, uh, since she since she sent this over and said I had to cover it today, I'm going to link this to her. Uh, maybe we can get a, just the headlines out uh, just for her. She'll be amused by that. Um, but yeah, no, honestly, what in the heck, man? What 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 is going on uh, with that article, folks? I uh, I don't uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, let's see. I just want to make sure we grab everything here. Get uh, some super chats um, here. And I think we're all set there. Uh, but yeah, before we hit those, and what do you think? I like immersive people without a lane, probably 300% more likely to succeed in their suit. <clears throat> Maybe <laughs> she's got, she's got it. Oh, that's what, that's what Kurt says. Better off not having their own lane. Uh, oddly is the author and attorney. So that goes in the question mark column. I didn't look up this author. She says she's a professor, right? Um, professors don't have to be barred. In fact, I think most professors aren't because it's just a, a fee that you pay to practice law. Uh, and I, I doubt that all professors are otherwise licensed to practice law. I have no idea uh, about this person. Clearly motivated interest in terms of, artic uh, of writing that article, thinks that Amber Heard was pilloried or whatnot, uh, finds in favor of that kind of in reverse. We can see all the logical loopholes that we often see when we're reading these articles, but I would expect better from an actual person that was trained in the law, right? We we need to understand what's happening here. And we need to understand like the court case, right? At no time was there ever any question that Amber Heard wrote for purposes of a legal analysis, the opinion editorial. Her team doesn't present that. So that's not chilling. We're only ever talking about the headline. And by the way, you can write this article getting that right. You can write this article about the headline. Now, that doesn't get you to where you want to get at the end because they found her liable on everything. But one of the things I had posited when we were talking about what the potential verdicts were is I thought that the headline was the most obvious one, that the tweet would obviously be republication for this purpose and that Amber Heard would lose on that and maybe that alone. That didn't happen. But if that had been the verdict, 
I could see an article like this one talking about republication, talking about the rule, talking about the headlines and being like, that's fundamentally unfair. I would get that. That's not what the verdict was. The verdict was the whole darn thing was defamatory. And so you have to bake in these ridiculous legal concepts that don't have anything to do with what the case actually was. And to me, that is unethical. That is essentially not doing what you should be doing if you're going out there with a platform like an opinion piece on NBC News and talking to folks, informing them. And I am passionate about this. I'm using cursy words about this because virtual legality for me exists because I feel called to try to help folks understand what in the world is going on with these things. And I'm not perfect. I'm sure people can find clips where I have said things that were inaccurate because I'm still a human being at the end of the day, but I try my darndest and I try to correct for those things when they happen. And I would never, ever, ever go out mischaracterizing what a trial was based on for purposes of my own thesis in trying to backstop my article. You can still write what this person wrote. It would still be dumb, but you could do it without mischaracterizing everything that we just saw. And that honestly offends me to take that platform, obviously much bigger than mine here. And we're growing. Tell your friends. We'll come up with blue hats. We'll do something. Care Bear hats. Uh, but um, it's just so darn important to get good understanding and good information about what just happened. And you could still make your points and not be idiots doing it. So I get very, I get very upset about that. Um, and so that's, uh, that's where I'm at. Um, clearly an Ivy tower person, not a trial lawyer or real practitioner could be professors are often going to have that even if they do practice or they do things with legal aid. I don't want to throw, I don't know anything about her experience. Um, you know, this article wasn't for us. It was for Amber fans. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's right. Uh, trained is doing a lot of work there. Hogue. Yeah, perhaps. Um, why do you think NBC is still siding with Heard? Cynically, I, I would say that their analytics are showing that there's an audience for that content. Um, that would be my guess. Uh, but I do think that you can still service that audience that you think exists without just misinforming. Um, right. And I'm not saying they should be regulated. I'm not saying people should swoop in and call NBC, you know, disinformation specialists or whatnot. Uh, but I do think that they deserve to be called out in places like this one. And I will continue to do so. We need more first read articles. That was brilliant. It's very nice of you to say. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I'd like to prep so I know what's coming, but maybe that softens some of my initial reactions as I go through them the first time. And and drop my draw, uh, drop my draw is not actually a sentence. Drop my jaw, um, you know, only for my own personal benefit with nobody watching. Uh, but, you know, maybe we'll do some more first reads. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's a different process. Just get to read along with me. Uh, what else we have here? Let's do some of these super chats. You guys have been so generous this morning. Jennifer, good morning up, up in Lexington, Michigan. Thanks. Good morning, Michigan. It is a good morning. Fridays are great mornings. It looks fantastic out there. Thank you so much for the support. T in Tennessee with a face palm emoji, the full Picard. Yeah. Yeah. That was an article, wasn't it? Apple pie, angry Hogue energy gives me life. Go off Hogue. I got your flower and then the face holding the flower made out of little symbols. That's awesome, apple pie. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah. I don't want to be this angry. I'm an optimist. I love this stuff. We still got, right? Something I'm very excited about. Not that. Lawyers and Dragons. I just keep like to watch the animation. This is what David did for us. Uh, our, our GM put together this whole thing um, with the advertising and the, uh, and, the, uh, and the animations. There will be a little, a brief, a brief summary 
of, of what our adventure will be on Twitter. If you want to follow me over there uh, today, you get the first word here uh, as we put that up uh, probably in a couple hours. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't want to be angry, but sometimes anger is deserved. Thank you so much, Apple Pie. Uh, Tracy Fagan, isn't the Washington Post behind a paywall? The, uh, the actual uh, opinion piece right now? I think so. Washington Post is separated into different verticals. So like if you go onto their gaming uh, column, that is outside the paywall. You can read everything there. I almost did an article from their gaming column because I thought it was good um, this morning. And I do like to I do like to at least point out where especially some of our recent guests in virtual legality, like the Washington Post, do something that I think is good journalism. Um, and so they had a really nice biography of the people that made um, a game called The Escape Academy that was released this week about how uh, they made actual escape rooms during COVID and then they had to uh, change when they were closed down and they decided to go into video gaming and they kind of pieced this thing together. And now it's like one of the high, most highly rated games um, of the quarter, I think. I love that. And I, I think I tweeted out, I love stories of entrepreneurs that have to react and change. And these are the dreamers. These are the creators that make all of our lives better. And you'll hear me proselytize on that. I'm, a, you know, I'm an entrepreneur's lawyer. Um, so like that's, that's what gets me out of bed uh, in the morning, as well as talking with all of you, of course. So I absolutely love um, I absolutely love those kinds of stories. Didn't do that, but a lot of their stuff is behind a paywall. I digress. Um, unindicted co-counsel, you owe a dollar to Emily's cursey word jar. No, no, I am removing a dollar from Emily's cursey word jar. Emily's funded for like $75 in cursey words here. And I really should get like a graphic up uh, for that because people send in super chats to allow Emily to swear on this space, which is funny because she tries not to and it's going to happen anyway. Uh, but um, <clears throat> yeah, I think uh, it was deserved, right? I, I say, you know, family friendly, 100%. I don't swear a lot. Um, and I do it because you notice when I do it, right? I, I am a, a supply and demand a cursey word operator. Brick Cormier, after this read, I want Hogue to hook up to a heart monitor on screen for first reads of articles sent by Emily. <laughs> LOL. That's right. Emily will just have a, uh, a DM with me every once in a while. That'll just be like, oh yeah, read this one. Don't read it in advance. Just, just, uh, just read this one on stream. See, see if I can kill him. Um, but, uh, yeah, T in Tennessee, not to mention, mention that she admitted writing it, uh, against Johnny Depp from the stand. She sure did. It's amazing what we're ignoring in these various articles, right? That Sarah, uh, wide-eyed emoji, alert emoji, alert EDB, hoax said a cursey word, explosion, exploding head emoji. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Michelle, we love spicy Hogue. Not too spicy. A mild salsa, really. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, sometimes that kind of stuff is deserved and, and that's why I use them, uh, judiciously, uh, NBC news wrote that no, an author wrote that, uh, large fictional entities don't write things, uh, but they did publish it. They put it up and they put it up as a companion piece to a documentary, which was pretty slanted I, documentary. I, I know it's, it's, it's video clips of interviews. It doesn't have kind of an overall concept. Um, so yeah, NBC, what can I say? Crazy cat queen. I wonder why I can't find that article link on Twitter from NBC directly. Could it be because they know it's misinformation? Uh, I will add it. I don't think I was planning on doing this today until Emily sent it to me. So I will add it to the description. I will go through. I have to add chapters. I know to yesterday's videos, you guys are all very quick on that. They're not chapters yet. It's like, yes, I know. Uh, you know, I don't have the full team doing descriptions for me. So I have to remember to go do that. Um, after that. And sometimes I get like a work email and I have to do something real quick. Uh, and so I go do that instead. Uh, but uh, yeah, I will link it in the description. 
uh, when I go through and finalize the process for this video and get everything set up. Um, so thank you for that. Now, I think we've gone almost two hours today. Uh, what do we got here? Whose channel is hosting the D&D session? I'm so glad you asked, Chub Toad. Uh, that would be here, youtube.com slash hoaglaw. Uh, so we'll be, we're going to be doing, as I said, game type stuff uh, with my friends here in this space. And other people might do it too. I mean, it's not, I don't have a monopoly uh, on that kind of thing. Uh, but this has been long in the planning. We've been, uh, we, uh, David and me, have been talking about this for months. Um, and it's going to be fantastic. Get excited. I mean it. I am super, super excited. We're going to have some fun. If you like our humor in general, just imagine us. Some One of or more of us might try to put on a voice. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I think it's if somebody does try to put on a voice, it's probably me. <laughs> uh, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see what we do. Um, Ace says, swearing less is more adds to impact. I've always felt that way. Um, you really know it. And if I escalate to the really high levels, you, 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 you know, you know, something's wrong. Um, and that, that refers, uh, pretty well, uh, in, um, in contract negotiations. Uh, sounds to me like this law professor watched the interviews after the trial and not the trial. Perhaps does not sound terribly well-versed in the actual details of the claims. Does it? Yeah. Yeah. Hold mild salsa. You could sell online. I get it. We'll get a jar in the merch shop that just says mild salsa. Hog law, something like that. Uh, Hog gave my heart fire. Thank you, Randall. I appreciate it. Uh, let's see here. Uncivil more content for me later. Yeah, enjoy your read through of that, Kurt. Absolutely. Uh, look for the NBC News channel in the YouTube for the video. Yeah, it's 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 everywhere. Um, so you can definitely go find that, but I might be able to link that too. I didn't talk about it directly here, so I might not. Um, I say Ken Burns should do a documentary on how and why this documentary was made. It'll be 10 parts. It'll be 14 hours long. Uh, and it will just be close up shots of, uh, like the social media team at NBC with sad music and then pans over like slightly askew emails where they decide to do this. It'd be grand. Uh, Raketsu86 had to wake up early for work today. Being here for that last article live made it all worthwhile. Thank you so much for the support, Raketsu. I'm glad that you were here. Uh, Secret McSquirrel, thank you as always for helping out with the mods and everything else. Do hit the like, do hit the subscribe. We're having fun here if you can't tell and you want to put the alert on your Outlook or on your Gmail calendar or wherever for Lawyers and Dragons tomorrow. It's going to be super cool. Um, Let's see here. Uh, Alita. Oh, yeah. Alita's on the list. Oh, yeah. We're, we're, we're having fun. We're having fun tomorrow. Um, it's going to be Alita, Robbie, and me. Um, and then, like I said, I said on Twitter, my thought process here is that this is a pilot with possibilities. Um, you know, it takes, a, it takes a good deal of effort to arrange these kinds of things. Um, but I love having this kind of stuff on the channel. I love showing how people can interact and enjoy each other's company and, and work through the process of games, right? Like, you know this about me. This is my full-on nerddom uh, coming out here. I love gaming and I love interactions and I love the stories that you can tell and the fun that you can have with each other. And I want to bring that to more people through, in this case, personalities that hopefully they already enjoy. Um, and I want to do that more. Uh, and if this works out and this becomes a series, we're going to have, you know, other lawyers and other, maybe even more than lawyers, it could be Lawyers and Dragons Plus uh, that come on here 
talk to your experiences, have a fun time, potentially do even postmortems on adventures and have just great experiences with games and with each other as human beings, regardless of whether or not we agree on tax reform or on whatever other thing might otherwise be trying to divide us in the media, Jeff V. Heard and NBC News uh, and things like that. I love it. I love it. I love it. And you're getting a lot of proselytizing from me today, but I, I feel good about it. So uh, I appreciate y'all coming here. Uh, Hoglaw, mild salsa, zesty with a little spice, an empty jar with Hog mild salsa. I love it. Why not? It's a mockumentary about the NBC News video. Uh, perhaps. Pesky pirouette with a super sticker. Thank you so much for the support. I really appreciate it. Great to see that passion. I'm a passionate guy. I, I hide it a lot. Um, and I try to present things as neutrally as possible, but I feel very strongly about certain things. Dreamers, entrepreneurs, getting good information out there to more people to evaluate for themselves. My God, I am not the voice of God. Sure as hell, NBC is not the voice of God. So <clears throat> that's that's what I'm passionate about. Um, I'm excited about tomorrow. What time? 10 a.m. Eastern. Um, and I would expect probably two hours. It's a one-off adventure. We'll see. I, I, I say that not knowing uh, what we're heading for. Um, and so we'll see We'll see how it goes. Um, need to get lawful masses added to the list? I think he would do it. I think he will do it. Um, so this is the pilot. These are the, these are the people I was coordinating with. Um, but yeah, yeah, if we can make this work, I would see the whole of uh, people that want to do this um, coming over to the channel, meeting new people, people with diverse perspectives, concepts about law, surely, but just about everything else, engaging in fantasy role-playing like everybody should do uh, to, to combine uh, our collective humanities. Uh, let's see here. What else we got? Uh, plan for three to four hours if you've said one to two. Hey, you know what? We got talkers. We got lawyers. Um, we know uh, that at least one of us is super enthused and is talking about various rule sets and expansions and things uh, behind the scenes. I bet you could guess uh, if you if you really think about that one, uh, but it's going to be a blast. I should probably go do some law firm work. Uh, I have some things to do. I thank everybody so much for the wonderful camaraderie, awesome community, and fun we had in here. Technically, we looked at four articles today, uh, but casual Fridays are the best. And maybe we move the entire kind of um, thesis for these uh, episodes for Hangouts and Headlines in general, more towards a more casual approach. I had a lot of fun today. Uh, we'll see. Leave your comments below what you feel about these kinds of episodes, how you feel about the show in general. I'm always taking feedback. Always love to hear from all of you. And do not miss tomorrow, Hoglaw YouTube channel, 10 a.m., Lawyers and Dragons. We are going to have a blast. You are not going to want to miss it. You're not going to want to be looking at your life afterwards on your deathbed saying, God, if only I had been there for the premiere episode of the longest lasting lawyer-based Dungeons and Dragons series of all time. Before it had become a phenomenon, I could have been there at the pilot. You don't want to be that person. So live life without regrets. See you tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. And have a fantastic Friday, everybody. See you next time.